0: Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. Maximize your leadership potential and professional advancement and be inspired. We're delighted to be your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development from a women in business perspective. We share our original research, explore industry and workforce trends and interview female executives, allies, and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things women in business, leadership challenges, talent management, organizational development, change management, and diversity
1: and inclusion.
2: Welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. In this WBIL podcast episode, Dr. Angela Schill and I talk with Karen Larson Brown about coming back into the workplace full time and quantifying your skills. Larson Brown, welcome to the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here.
2: It is a pleasure to be with you. I'm John Westover. I'm joined by my co-host, Angela Schill. Today, we're going to be talking with Karen about coming back into the workplace full time after a period away and how you go about quantifying skills. Of course, we'll do that within the context of her story, of her personal and professional life. And we're just thrilled to have a chance to chat with Karen today. As we get started, I wanted to share Karen's bio with everybody. Mm -hmm. Karen Larson-Brown is the Senior Director of Outreach for Sapria. She is passionate about ending the epidemic of child sexual abuse and its lasting impacts. She oversees a team that focuses on bringing healing and prevention tools to individuals, families, organizations, and communities all over the world. Uh, I could go on and on, but I'm going to pause there. Karen, anything you would like to highlight? From your background, your work at Sapria, before we launch on into the conversation?
1: Uh, No, I love what I do. Uh, I love the impact it has on the lives of uh, people in our community and beyond. Um, And I'm excited to talk about it today.
0: So Karen, I'm, you know, just diving right into this idea of coming back into the workplace after being away. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like you were a part-time raising children and then Mm -hmm. moved back into full-time work. Yeah. I'm wondering what that was like for you and you can talk any talk to what you did, any specifics Mm -hmm. surrounding that as you made those
1: adaptations as well. Well, I, um, I spent years in uh, the workforce in uh, retail and business uh, and really got married later, much later in life. And so I had been working for, you know, Uh, 15, 20 years before I got married. And that's quite an adjustment to uh, have children later in life. And so I will say, um, once we started having children, letting go of a full-time job was difficult, Uh, but I had uh, a daughter and I had twin boys. So I had my hands full. And so we had made the decision that I would uh, come home and just work part-time for our business that we owned at the time. And uh, it was hard. It's hard when you um, uh, have worked for that long to be able to let go of that and um, uh, just trust that things are going to be okay because, you know, you're responsible for yourself. And then to have to make that shift is hard. Um it was uh, what we needed to do Was what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to be with my kids. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think the ideal is to be able to have part-time work um, when you're raising young children to be able to keep your skills sharp and to be able to um, continue to have that outlet and that um, space that's kind of yours. And so did that for about 10 years. Um, And then once my kids were, uh, in elementary school, I really, um, wanted to be able to come back into the workplace more full time. And so an opportunity presented it to me and it was, um, it's not easy when you've been gone that long to remember how to sell yourself and to remember how to, um, present your skill set. And I had to really relearn that. And luckily I was able to take a, a course, um, just on, uh, getting my resume ready and on how to interview and how to talk to people about my skills and how to share examples of what that, what my skills meant. And, um, I was really grateful that I had some of that training and that learning, and that made all the difference as I started interviewing and really helped me to get the job I currently have.
0: And do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? What, um, the job that you currently have and what that looked like as well.
1: Yeah, so um, the business that we previously owned had a lot to do with addiction recovery and helping people find um, recovery. And over the years, one of the challenges um, we noticed is a lot of people use uh, substances to treat their childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And it was so frustrating that we were only dealing with the symptom of what the issue was. And when this opportunity came, it really was about addressing the root cause of the trauma instead of just a symptom. And so I was really excited to be able to jump into this role. I started at Supria as uh, the first member of the community outreach team. I was the only member wow. of the community outreach team. And in that first year, got to work on developing uh, resources that would be used in community outreach. Um, and it was just so exciting <laughs> to be able to be part of that creation. For me, that just sounds so fulfilling
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, very, to be a part very of that. Much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can speak more specifically to uh, things that I worked on. So uh, when I was interviewed, our managing director said, um, so we want to do support groups. And I said, that's great. Support groups are really awesome. What do you want to do? How do you want to do them? And he said, mm-hmm. I don't know. You need you you need to figure that out. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we want to teach parents how to reduce the risk. And I said, great. How do you want to do that? I don't know. You figure that out. And so um, I just had this canvas that I could work from based on my experience, uh, because in addiction recovery, we do a lot of work with um, peer led support, you know, uh, groups like AA, um, smart recovery, those are all models of uh, peer led support. And we I got the opportunity to investigate and, and kind of really deep dive into that model and um, bring it to life. For Supria,
2: can I go back just a little bit and ask, you know, when when you you mentioned briefly, you know, how it was challenging to leave the workforce, being full time, going home, um, raising children, being part time, uh, and then returning. I think there's probably a ton we can unpack there. Uh, You mentioned. Like some of these courses that you took you had people to coach you to mentor you mm-hmm. um resume building interviewing i mean yeah. frankly i mean angela and i see students all the time uh who are struggling with that too you know like that's a hard thing for a lot of people um yeah. even if you know you you uh you know let alone someone who who has left the workforce and is now going back um mm-hmm. so just acknowledging that that's hard anyways um yeah. but then know kind of being out of the practice of it um i think is is definitely something that's difficult Uh, i i just had a conversation the other day with a good friend um it's not the same kind of situation it wasn't like a um, leave the workforce raise a family return but this person had been at an organization at a job for a long time right and so they had not looked for a job they had not updated the resume they had not interviewed in like well over a decade yeah, and uh, they were feeling some of the same things you were describing. Um, yeah. But I, I suspect, you know, having left the workforce full time, it's even heightened, right? And yeah. perhaps even this this sense of imposter syndrome that might yeah. be pervasive, you know, that, yeah. how, how, did, how did you tackle that, you know, as you're trying to kind of re-skill, and it's not even new skills, like, it's like just reminding yourself of old skills that you had, but yeah. like going through that process, being uncomfortable with it. Battling imposter syndrome. Like, can you talk through that a little bit more?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I had to do is really look at the things I did part time because what you did 10 years ago doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. It's what you did last week. <laughs> <laughs> and so I had to look at the most current um, experience I had. And so with our business, I was responsible for um, a lot of the accounting day-to-day. I was responsible for uh, benefits. I was responsible for website. So uh, I had to take those interactions that I had, even though they were on a part-time basis, and figure out what skill was I demonstrating? What did I do? Mm. And so, for instance, um, in sourcing a new benefit company, I put together a matrix, we had four or five different vendors we were looking at. And I looked at all the things that were important to us. And I put a spreadsheet together and listed out what are the things that are important to us? And then what do these vendors provide? And as I put this all together, it really helped make the decision. And we Mm -hmm. had them each come in. And um, so as I was able to start thinking about things I had done and be able to illustrate and quantify them, um, demonstrate what my role was, what I did, um, what the interaction was, and then what the outcome was, that helped people to see and understand my skill set. And I think that's so important for women uh, to be able to do that in a way that uh, makes it very tangible to whoever it is they're speaking to it's not just oh i help with i help with some accounting and i do. it's like no i was actually responsible for sourcing our new benefits vendor and the way i did that is i created a matrix that helped surface the key components of need that we had at the organization and we interviewed each one of these vendors and got their feedback and we were able to make a decision based on the matrix that i had developed because they either had what we needed or they didn't and that um, tool really surface that. And so because of my effort, we were able to find the right benefit company. It was a huge success. So being wow. able to, you know what I mean? Do you see the difference? Mm-hmm. Like I helped kind of with accounting and some HR. It's like, well, no, I did this. This is what I did. This is how I did it. And this is the outcome. See, and I'm
2: always go ahead,
0: fascinated. Oh, go ahead, John.
2: Go ahead, Angel.
0: I'm just fascinated with the the concept of how do you quantify your skills? How do you communicate them in a way that shows the value that you add? Mm-hmm. But then I, you know, hearing you say, then you're you're in this position where people have listened to you. They see the value that you add and now they're handing you these really open-ended, you called it a canvas.
1: <laughs> but then
0: you have to remember and convince yourself, mm-hmm. these are the skills that I have and this is the ability that I have to go forward and do these things, which yeah. I think that's the other piece that we sometimes forget.
1: Yeah. And it's, and I think it kind of plays into a little bit of um, ambiguity. Sometimes we have to work in ambiguity and that's really hard. Um, So for instance, when I was given the responsibility of developing out what support groups look like for Supria, I was like, are you kidding? (laughs) I'm not a clinician. I like, what? <laughs> but then I'm like, okay, no, I've been in and around the recovery community for 10, 12, 15 years. I, I know what um, support groups look like. I know how powerful a peer-led support is in, re- in recovery and in healing. And so I didn't just rely on my experience, but my experience gave me enough confidence to know that I knew who to go to and who to engage. So I brought in experts, um, in uh, AA. I brought in experts in um, seeking safety. I brought in experts from smart recovery. Like I brought in experts to sit down with our clinical team and we were able to look at those different models and find what we liked and what worked with those models. Um, I was able to collaborate again with our clinical team and what we do at our retreats. We were able to pull components from that uh, and then work with our education team on the most current research and, and the writing and and so you just, you have to have a starting point and then you, um, have to add structure to it. Uh, it doesn't have to be completely, but you have to have an element of structure mm-hmm. to be able to move it forward. And then you just have to start doing the thing, right? You can talk about it all you want, but you have to start doing the thing. And once you start doing the thing, um, you learn. So it's start wherever you're at. Figure out a plan, get buy-in from stakeholders, learn from experts, and then just start moving it forward. Even if it's just little steps at a time, move it a little bit forward, learn from that, move it a little more, learn from that. And that way you start to have a a runway. Like Especially if you know what the end goal is, we want support groups. OK, I know what the end goal is. So there's a lot in between this and that yeah. and so just taking it a step at a time. But always be mindful of I need to move this forward.
2: It's super interesting to me to think about this this interplay um, between, you know, the the confidence and humility that, you know, I would want to see in someone that I work with. Um, I don't want to work with arrogant people, but I want to work with people who are confident in their skills and abilities. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only natural that someone who has taken a step away from their career would start to, you know, have, you know, a little bit less confidence. Um, mm-hmm. feel that imposter yeah. syndrome. And and it doesn't mean that they're not capable. So as you were describing, you know, very specific um examples of like what you did and what you accomplished. That's really powerful. And it's a reminder, I think, probably to everybody, frankly, because a lot of people aren't good at being that specific. Um, but but particularly for those who have stepped away, like lean into the fact that you you've really done a lot of cool stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And don't sell yourself short. Um, I, I see this all the time uh, as I'm trying to help students. Like, no, let's really talk through what did you do? What did you do in this job? What did you do in this project? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what did the experience, what skills, competencies, capabilities did these experiences give you? And what mm-hmm. specifically can you talk about to an employer and it, someone who's interviewing you uh, in relation to this? And how can you better demonstrate it on your, your, um, your resume? Uh, that is a, a very important conversation. A lot of people really struggle with it, um, you know, but I think particularly for people who, you know, may feel a little bit overwhelmed they they feel like they they've been out of the game like you mentioned you know something you did 10 years ago doesn't necessarily matter <laughs> yeah. um it's sad but true like yeah. you know it, what matters is what you've been doing recently and and then all of a sudden someone can just feel like well i haven't done anything recently mm-hmm. no yes you have you have done lots of things let's let's drill down let's try to understand <laughs> what those things actually are yeah. uh and then and then you you can be empowered feel empowered going forward in confidence to talk about those issues without so much fear about being found out, you know, uh, of right. course you don't want to make stuff up, but, but I think right. a lot of times we just sh- sell ourselves short um, yeah. and we don't, we don't really hone in on those, those aspects that we did. You mentioned, for example, the tendency that people would, would have to say things like, well, I helped with this, or I was part of the team that did this. That doesn't really tell an interviewer anything Um, they want to know specifically what you did, what skills you have, and that can be uncomfortable for people to, to talk about themselves and to be willing to kind of put themselves out there as I did this, I own this, this is what I accomplished, but that's really what we got to do.
1: Oh, absolutely. And the thing that helped me the most was actually writing it out, like really thinking about specific examples. Um, that I could illustrate and then writing out, okay, well, what what did I do? What was my piece of this thing? Um, what was the interaction like? And then what was the outcome? And, and when I started writing out these examples in that sort of framework, that made a huge difference. And so then I had, you know, seven or eight examples and then I would pick which one I would use or whatever interview I was going into, I would have two or three that I would like, okay, I'm going to use this one, this one, and this one in this interview, because it pertains more to what this job is about. And it, it blows them away. I can't, I can't tell you how powerful that is. Um, I remember uh, in my interview with Supriya, they would say, well, tell us about this. And I would say, oh, I'd love to tell you about that. I did this this is what happened. And this was the outcome. And they would be like, that's awesome. Okay. Um, (laughs) tell us about this. And, and because I was very, uh, focused in on, uh, what the skill was and I could demonstrate it and I could share the outcome. It it's just really powerful.
0: Just hearing you and thinking about, you know, having a little bit of background on what you've done. It sounds like since, since that time, Uh, moving forward with the projects that you've done and how do you then you know you've got yes to the position that you're in and I think you've shifted a few you've shifted around since then and maybe we can talk to that as well but then as you're doing these collaboration pieces how do you then pull people in is it the same concept it seems like this is you know a pattern of you get your you, you have your idea, you have your theme, you can have an outcome that goes with that, showing what skill that is. Mm-hmm. How does that work when you're collaborating with people in the
1: projects that you're working on? That's a great question. I Collaboration is so important. Uh, when I think about some of the major projects that I've been involved in and continue to be involved in, um, one of the biggest things is stakeholder buy-in. So just understanding who's at the table and Um, why are they at the table? What is it they're bringing and why do they need to weigh in? So I have to understand all of that first. And once I understand that, then I need to recognize that I need their buy-in. And so what do I need to do to get their buy-in? They, they understand from an organizational perspective that this thing needs to happen, but they need to buy into the process and the pathway that I'm taking to get to the thing. And so I need to understand what their needs are. I need to understand what they're going to get out of the thing that I need to accomplish. Um, And so oftentimes there is some trust building that needs to happen. There is um, a ton of communication that needs to happen. Um, There's a lot of uh, voices that have to be heard. And so I would say in, in getting to yes, in a collaboration it's making sure that we're all on the same page and have a common vision and a common goal. Um, and that we all agree on what the outcome is because we, we work in a very collaborative environment at Supriya and, um, it's not just, it's not my thing. <laughs> it's our thing. And so I may be driving the process, but the end result is Supriya's thing. And so, um, I, I that's just huge. Uh, if you don't have stakeholder buy-in, it's not going to go well. And the end result is not going to be, um, uh, used at the level that it needs to be. It's not going to be as successful as it could be. Um, mm-hmm. you have to, you have to get that. Um, and you have to be willing to hear opposing voices. You have to be willing to take feedback. You have to be willing to let people have a voice and, and be comfortable in like managing that and guiding it, because you've got to still move it forward and so you've got to know when to say okay, I've gotten all the feedback thank you for your feedback I'm going to make a decision I'm going to move forward kind of thing um, but really stakeholder buy-in is huge.
0: It almost sounds like you have everything out on the table and we can say this the same as you know pulling in and being able to quantify and add you know what is your what are your strengths and how do you add value in this conversation then it's pulling in, people's opinions, pulling in people's goals, what 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 drives them.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then honing honing things down as a leader to that one specific, maybe it's more than one point, but that visionary goal that everyone then can buy in and is on board to then move forward. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, exactly. And really being clear who the decision makers are. Mm-hmm. So um if you are the decision maker, then you have to be in a position where you want to hear everyone's voice and you want to, um, have as much communication as you need to, to be clear, but then at the end of the day, you have to be able to make the decision and move forward, or you could talk about it for days and days and days and not make any progress. So, um, that is an interesting balance that you have to, to hit, um, so I, I think it's important to be very self-aware and um, understand um, what your challenges are. So um, being willing to know that you don't always have the answer that's going to be the right or best answer and being willing to um, incorporate other people's ideas and thoughts to get to the best answer. How do you make it,
0: you know, you've gone from a management management position to an executive leadership position. And how do you make that space safe to take other people's feedback on board and then be, be open as a leader to also be reflexive and kind of
1: be self-aware? Uh, that's a, a great question. Uh, it's, I think you have to model it. So you have to... When you're uh, in a meeting, you uh, you want to engage everyone at the table. So uh, everyone from a, a coordinator uh, to a manager to a director to whatever, um, everyone at the table has great ideas. And But if you're only asking other managers or other directors their feedback, you're leaving a lot at the table. And so mm-hmm. making sure that you're calling on people who maybe don't always get to share their thoughts and, and making it safe. Um, I know this is more of a, a therapy thing, but safety is huge. Um, the, the concept of safety is so important for growth and development and progression. And when people don't feel safe, they don't do their best work and they don't um, bring their, their best self because it's um, it's too scary. it's, it's it's, uh, threatening. And so just being willing to uh, model that kind of behavior where you're responsive instead of reactive, where if something happens, the world isn't falling to pieces. It's like, okay, well, how are we going to respond? What do we need to do? Okay. Yeah. That happened. That stinks. But, um, how do we, how do we pick that up and, and, and move forward? So really, um, I think managing your emotions, um, Uh, creating safety, and then um, uh, providing opportunity for people to feel like they can share. If
0: safety is only a therapy thing, I think it needs to expand (laughs) because it's (laughs) such a basic need in that Mm -hmm. sort of environment.
1: People talk a lot about vulnerability, and I know that's a big word right now, and it's, it's very powerful, but you have to create a safe environment for someone to be willing to be vulnerable, and so I think safety kind of leads the way, and and we can encourage more vulnerability uh, by creating safe spaces.
2: Yeah, with without the safety, you don't have trust development. Without yeah. trust development, you can't build relationships, and without relationships, you just can't get anything done, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Yeah,
2: and so you know, it's like a lot of times you know, well, I, I can't speak for you. I know I get, sometimes I get frustrated. You know, when I look at the messiness of the world, I, I get frustrated by the divisiveness in society and the polarization. And like, can we not just like be grown up adult, mm-hmm. mature people to, to try to address these problems, but it's hard because people fundamentally don't trust each other. Um, mm-hmm. And, and if you don't have that, it's hard to to move forward. So, I really appreciate this conversation, you know, because I think it's foundational not just for teams, but in our homes, in our communities, yeah. society as a whole
1: yeah, I completely agree
0: and, and I mean the the areas that you focus on the work that you're doing, I think that's all you know safety is key in all of those within the organization but also with the goals that you have and the work that you're doing mm-hmm. and i'm I'm wondering if you want to talk anything about I mean you you've we've talked more vaguely and generally about some of the projects that you well, working on these big projects and collaborations, but what is, what does that look like for you going from a management position to an executive leadership position, and then kind of maybe talk on some of the projects that you do and, and what it looks like from we've, we've maybe touched on this. So it's up to you how you want to expand on that, but inception to delivery, what the, what that looks like. And.
1: Yeah. Uh, we've referred to our support group um, resource, and I can and ta- I can talk a little bit more about that. Initially, uh, when I first came on, I was very hands-on. It was a brand new project. Um, I got to coordinate uh, clinical input and education input, and then um, once we had materials that we felt were viable, uh, we then recruited uh, survivors participate in, um, pilots where we tested, uh, the materials to see, are they working? Is this the right structure? Is this the right content? And then we would get their feedback and make revisions. And so we ran these pilots for about five months and then we launched these groups out into the world and launched a website. And so that was in 2018. Um, and since then we just finished our second revision of our website content uh, this past uh, spring and I'm thrilled thrilled about it It's I mean when we started, I was making videos with a GoPro <laughs> <laughs> and creating um you know the, the most viable product right to to test the concept and get it out there and see if it would actually work and now, the quality of the resource is just world-class and I'm just so excited about it. And just, I, I love the fact that I got to be there in the very beginning and got to um, be part of this process and work to engage survivors all over the world in this resource. We offer it in four different languages. It's in English, French, German, and Spanish. And uh, everything that is needed to start or run a support group is available on our website for free because we have amazing partners that support the work we do. So, anyone, um, if they have an internet connection, can go to our website, click on support groups, and they will find 27 weeks of um, amazing content that covers things like what trauma does to the brain and the body, and mindfulness and shame. Uh, and self-compassion and just all of our therapeutic practices um, and psychoeducational content that is so helpful uh, and in a structure that is just really easy to access and easy to use. So just to be at the ground level at the inception of this resource and then to see where it is today is just so satisfying and so exciting to me um, to be, to see the progress that we've made over this time. But in terms of transitioning through my roles, as it relates to this particular project, mm-hmm. I just overs, I oversee the people that oversee the thing now. So mm-hmm. instead of me directly in contact with support group leaders and directly fostering that um, those relationships, I'm overseeing the, people that do that and so that's kind of a transition and as you move um in organizations and you take higher roles you have to be comfortable letting go of the day-to-day and the hands-on and be uh, willing to go more strategic and more high level um, and really more focused on the impact and the outcomes instead of that day-to-day um uh satisfaction um and that was hard that was a little bit of a transition um having to let go of that uh and and really sharpening my skills at a more strategic organizational hat um space and being able to weigh in on things that don't just help support groups but that help the organization as a whole
0: i imagine that there's a gift in that of you know you're you're doing this higher level thinking now but you've bet you've had your boots on the ground, you know what it's like in those other areas. So you have this, this knowing that then informs you as you're doing your more strategic thinking, which I think is pretty incredible to have
1: that transition, all of those little phases along the way. Oh, I completely agree, because I can speak to it differently than other um, directors and other members of of management, because I have had that level of engagement at that level and just the hands-on kind of engagement. So uh, it really um, helps in decision-making. It helps in um, planning uh, and just understanding the resource and understanding um, the power that it has. So um, I think it's important as we move through the ranks that we um, build on the experiences and build on, um, those opportunities and, uh, pull from them as we need to, um, but not keep ourselves in the, Oh, well, I, I just did this. And then I think John, to your point about the imposter syndrome, sometimes we, we hold ourselves back because we have put ourselves in a box and we say, Hey, I can do this. I'm inside this little box and I can do this, but now I I'm here, but am I really here? Am I really at the next level? Um, Because I was always just this other thing and uh, just learning how to build on that. It's like, I can take this to the next level um, and, and being confident in doing that.
2: Karen, this has just been super fun. I really have enjoyed learning more about you, your organization, all the cool work that you're doing as well as the the couching it within this this broader theme of of just quantifying our skills and making sure that we're putting our best foot forward and for anyone really, but particularly for those who may have left the workforce for a time or full-time employment for a time and the challenges that are associated with re-entering. And, uh, and putting your best foot forward. Um, I know at the time we need to let you go here in just a minute, but before we wrap things up, I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience, how they can connect with you and find out more about your work and then give us a final word on the topic for today.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, I just want everyone to know about Sapria and what we do there. We focus on the issue of child sexual abuse and we have amazing healing resources for adult women who are survivors. And these resources are free. They include a four-day retreat, a healing webinar, uh, support groups, as we've talked about, and online uh, resources. We also are focused on prevention. So we have a lot of resources to help parents and caregivers learn how to reduce the risk of their children being abused. And then we try to raise a ton of awareness. And so if you're interested at all in any of these resources, you can go to supria.org, and all of those resources are available there. Uh, I, you can reach me at kbrown at supria.org. If you have questions about any of the things that we've talked about today or want to learn more about Supria or how to partner with us or how to engage with us, I would love to, to talk to any of you.
2: On behalf of Angela and I, again, we thank you. We encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Karen can do for you. And as always, we hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And we hope you all have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Women in Business Impact Lab podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.